right. Good morning. Hope everybody is doing good. Good to be back with you. I think I was back or with you maybe like three or four months ago. So it's uh, it's great to be back. Good to see you. You're looking good. So uh, that's good for some of you. I can say, hey, uh, you know, I was going to start today with some jokes about UT, but I remembered that I'm a Georgia fan, so I know what it feels like. Um, yeah, but go Commodores, right? Yeah. Anchorstown. There we go. Hey. All right, so I know that brought some anxiety to many of you um, last night, so that's the reason we're talking about this today. Hey, we're in the second uh, week of a series um, called Questions, and uh, last week Daniel M. kicked us off talking about repentance. But basically he uh, introduced, and really what the series is intended to do is uh, we, you have submitted questions, and those questions have come in, and uh, they've taken some of those questions to be able to answer those questions over the next few weeks. And so we're going to be tackling one today is anxiety of sin, and um, Great question, but uh, I know that there's tons of questions that you have. You, you walk in here with questions. You, you have questions that you just kind of, you, you maybe, you know, kind of stuff down and you, you, you know, deal with and you don't feel like, you know, anybody else deals with. And um, there's questions around philosophy and life and worldview and uh, deep theological things that some of you um, wrestle with. And, uh, you know, we may not answer those questions, and, and I would just encourage you, uh, you know, in the next several weeks as you have those questions to be an individual who uh, just moves beyond maybe skepticism and rock throwing to, um, seek to find some of those answers yourself. There are great philosophers and uh, people who write in worldview and theologians who uh, write a lot of good stuff. There's, uh, I'll, I'll name some. If you want to jot some of these down, if you're that person, I'm a skeptic, I'm a questioner, I'm the person who I want to go find the answers. And so uh, there's guys like William Craig Lane, who's brilliant, P- Peter Kreeft, a brilliant philosopher uh, who is, who's Catholic and, and just he gets it. Um, Nancy Piercy, Alvin Plantiga, one of the greatest philosophers of our, of our time. And, and uh, from theology, you have tons of early church fathers and N.T. Wright, Karl Barth, uh, C.S. Lewis, Jonathan Edwards. There's, there's tons and tons of great individuals that can help dig into those answers. But we're not talking about those. Those are going to be on your own time and at your own, on your own dime. But we're going to be talking about in, is anxiety a sin? And, and it really is. It's a great question. And let me, let me ask it fully. Here was the question that was submitted. It says, is anxiety a sin? Jesus said not to be anxious. So is it a sin if someone is anxious for any reason? Or is it an emotion that alerts us to bring our anxious thoughts and worries to Jesus? It's not like anxiety is a fun sin. That is an awesome question. Um, So Jennifer, uh, I'm just kidding. I have no idea who submitted that. (laughs) But if your name's Jennifer, you were getting anxious, weren't you? You're like, oh, goodness, why is he? So, but if you were Jennifer and you actually submitted that, I have no idea still, I promise. All right, so um, I don't want to make fun of anxiety. Uh, It it is a real-life issue, and um, it's something that we all deal with. And for many people, it becomes debilitating. It it really does. And so I don't want to make light of it, um, and I want to kind of... Uh, look at it and deal with it and, and help us kind of think through it. We all experience anxiety. It, it is, anxiety is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you're young or old or rich or poor or the color of your skin or anything. Um, anxiety happens to all of us. It is a reality. It happens to babies. There's, you know, I mean, it, it, it just it creates this um, in our lives, and we have to deal with it. And so um, to help us kind of, and to set the stage a little bit to answer this question, I want us to look at a few images and 
um, allow these images to elicit the response that these images would. So let's look at this uh, first image here. Oh, yeah, what does that do to you? Make you squirm a little bit, doesn't it? Like you're picking your feet up and like, all right, what's going on? What about this next one? Uh-huh. Yikes. Now that one, what's that do for you? All right, what about this next one? Oh, goodness, yeah. I mean, come on. That's, that's, uh, that creates a little anxiety for you, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I'm turning away, I can't look. <laughs> you know, that's, that's me. Uh, what about this one? This really didn't, I mean, think about it. A week ago, we were watching this, or, you know, or so ago, and, and I mean, from all the time that it was going to be coming up, you're, you're sitting anxiously watching the news and weather channel, and um, you're just trying to figure out, okay, what's going to happen? It wasn't even, you know, in this neck of the woods, but we're, we're still anxious about it. And, and, and it goes to the next image as well as, you know, it's not your home, but you're still anxious. And so it creates this. Um, all five of those images, um, it, it elicits some type of physiological response, doesn't it? I mean, it creates something in you that you're like, oh. I mean, think about it. I, I hate walking through a spider web. There's nothing worse, honestly. You know, there's just nothing. Because you walk through a spider web and you're fighting something that nobody else can see. You know, like, what is that dude doing over there? And so you're, you know, you're grasping at stuff. And I promise you, in my mind, that it wasn't just like one spider. It was a whole host of spiders that then jumped on my back and they're all over me and climbing all over me. And it sends that chill up my spine. I'm like, I feel them. I lay down at night, and they're still crawling on me. I promise you. You know, it's like that, and so it elicits some type of physiological response. For some of you, it's you know the heights. Like if you get up, you know, like four feet tall, and your legs are shaking, you're like, that's too tall. You know, and me, as a kid, I didn't care less because I was dumb and didn't, you know, think about dying at that point. But now, I'm like, yes, that's too far. I'm way back here. It's like, it's still too far. Anybody else gets, you know, really close? I'm turning and walking the other way because I don't want to see them die. You know, it's like that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm moving on. It creates that, doesn't it? I mean, there's, there's this anxiety that we have. And whether it's through fear or even experiences, um, those anxieties are real to us. I'm going to show you two more images. And uh, these images are a bit different. Uh, money, that, that brings about a little different emotion and reaction, doesn't it? It's like, yes, that's good. What could be bad about that? The next image, um, family, that looks oh, so sweet, and they're probably wearing the same colors and things like that. <laughs> so so here's, here's the reality, though. Those two images um, create a sense of security for many people. Uh, there's hope and there's promise in those two images, isn't there? Until there's not enough money. Or there's no money. You don't know where it's going to come from. And a relationship is breaking down. And uh, all of a sudden, that's disappearing and disintegrating. And then it creates a little something else, doesn't it? It changes the dynamic. Because on the surface, those two images bring the security until it changes. Until the narrative changes. So as we look at this and we think about this whole anxiety, most of us, we don't walk around daily and we're worried about rattlesnakes, you know, around every corner or spiders, um, you know, jumping out at us or our houses being flooded. We don't deal with those, but we deal with the, the issues of today, the anxiety of today. And even more so, we deal with the anxieties of what potentially may happen of the future. Let me ask you uh, just you know, some questions, and I think there's questions not that I'm asking you, but that we all ask um, that, that can create this um, in our lives. Do I have enough money for this month? 
Do I have enough money to pay that bill to help the kids in college to retire? Will I get that job, land that contract, make that sale, get that client? Will they like me? Will they want me on the team? Will they want to even hang out with me? Will I pass that test? You won't if you don't study, students. Get into college. You won't if you don't study, students. Um, Make my parents happy. That's not a student thing. I mean, there's 50-year-olds still trying to make their parents happy. Um, Be successful. Will our marriage make it through this? What will happen to the kids? That disease runs in our family. What if? Could we? Should I? Even me asking a lot of those questions, it, it generates some anxiety for you. It creates something in you that you're like, you just have to deal with. And it goes much deeper than just a chill that runs up your spine, doesn't it? Uh, there, there's, there's a psychology to anxiety. Uh, it, it, for some, it creates panic um, in their world. And so I, I'm not qualified to get to that level and deal with that. There's incredible professionals that deal with anxiety. And um, if you ever deal with that and you need that, man, don't be ashamed to ever reach out to a professional to help you walk through that. Um, and, but I do think that Scripture is going to help us understand it. It's going to help us even deal with it to a, to a level that I believe that if we can trust what God is offering up here, that's going to help. And also, I want to answer, answer the question, is anxiety a sin? Um, you know, many times when we ask questions and, and you know, those kind of questions, we, we automatically, you get to that place where you're like, all right, um, I'm tired of the nice little Christian cliches that people, you know, give me. You, you know, I mean, it's that nice little Christian response, you know, the cliche response that most people kind of give. God's got this. Oh, okay. That helps. You know, like, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, when you can't, see his plan you can trust his hand like what are you talking that's great for a coffee mug and a bumper sticker but really when it gets down to it what is that going to do for me right now um and so you know we do that i mean think about it anybody fan of what about bob remember that movie back in the 80s like y'all kids like whatever you need to go watch it it's really good so what about bob remember the doctor said okay bob what is your you know the prescription was baby steps right it was all about baby steps you know bob's shuffling around taking baby steps did it get him beyond, you know? I mean, that's ultimately what we want to do. Well, so in light of uh, the answer, what I want to do is give you a nice little Christian cliche this morning. Um, but we're going to add substance to it. And, and substance and solution is really what we, we want to see. So here it is. Here's our nice little Christian cliche. God's grace, it's up here on the screen, God's grace is greater than any worry of this life. God's grace is greater than any worry of this life. Say that with me, right? Ready? God's grace is greater than any worry of this life. All right, so let's build some substance around that. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Turn your Bibles to uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, and look in uh, chapter 4, chapter 4. And as you're turning there or navigating there, um, just a little bit of context, Paul was writing to a group of people who had real-life issues. Uh, it wasn't like it was such a long time ago, and those people back there, they didn't really have real-life issues, they didn't have concerns, anything to be anxious about. That's not true. They still had relationship issues. Uh, they had issues to deal with with finances. In fact, Philippi at this time was a, a very poor um, area and, and region, and uh, they didn't have a lot of money. They were being persecuted, so they understood, like, at any point as a believer, they could be taken, arrested, killed. Um, so they had real-life issues to be anxious about. 
And so as Paul is writing this um, in, in chapter 4, verse 6, in a verse that we all know and it is on a lot of coffee mugs, um, it says this, do not, in, in the NIV, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All right. So just imagine yourself, this is what happened in those days, is they would get a letter, you know, written on papyrus or whatever, and so they're getting this letter, and, um, you know, they're, they're sitting around, and, and as a church, they're gathered, and uh, they would designate someone, hey, you read this letter to us, and what is Paul saying? And, you know, they'd be passed around from house to house, and from city to city, but Paul has this, and so he's, or not, the individual who, you know, is a designated reader is, has this in front of this group, and, and all of a sudden, they begin to read it, and it says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, at that point in time, if I'm sitting around that circle, I'm going, really? Paul, really? I mean, come on. Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, you can put a period there and go, let's, let's go ahead and erase that one and let's go into the next thing, you know? I mean, honestly, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. Is that what Paul really meant? And I mean, because what he's doing is he's offering up a very impossible command, isn't he? He's saying, don't be anxious. That is impossible not to be anxious about anything, isn't it? And then to say that it's sin if I am anxious about anything, that's an impossibility. So what you have to do is you have to kind of get back into really what is the intended meaning. Um, the, the CSB offers a little varied um, uh, word, and it says this in, in the CSB. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So it goes from anxious to worry, and there's a little difference, and we'll talk about that difference between anxiety and worry. Um, but then if you even go back a little bit further um, into the, the old King James Version, which you know is antiquated and in museums now, it says this. It says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. And it's actually a really good rendering of this word, um, which, which it gives us a better glimpse into the intended meaning. So careful has actually lost its, its you know, definition or our, our understanding of it because careful means actually full of care, that you are full of care. So we say, in, be careful for nothing in the old King James it says, really, Paul was making sure that the Philippians, to say, don't allow anything to capture all of your care. Don't be consumed and full of care about a single thing. Don't allow that to happen. Because when you're full of care and care is all consuming you, then you don't have space or room for anything else. Think about it in, in, in this term. Is, uh, it, it's interesting because that whole be anxious for nothing or be careful for nothing or don't worry about anything, that word in the, in the original text, as you go and trace that, it's the same word that Jesus used as he was preaching in the Sermon of the Mount. So Jesus, Sermon of the Mount, crowds gathered. All of a sudden, he's looking out and he's saying, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, he's going through the Beatitudes. He gets to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries on its own. So Jesus says that. And I'm sure that the crowd, again, you know, like, okay, let me understand this. And so they understood the intended meaning. 
And, and the intended meaning is you can't be fully consumed with care about these things. Think about this in, in light of that um, little passage in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus was talking. Remember, Jesus came on the scene and he was preaching a kingdom, right? He was ushering in a new kingdom, a new way of thinking. He was ushering in a new thought, a new process, how to relate to God. And so in Jesus' um, preaching, he's saying, hey, listen, this is the way that the, this kingdom on earth thinks. You've got to worry about these things. You've got to be consumed with these things. These things, these cares, let them consume you. Be self-dependent, self-reliant. Get some will. Pull your bootstraps up. Deal with these issues. And Jesus was saying, hey, no, 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 no. I'm preaching a new kingdom. That's the reason in 633 is Jesus' solution to don't worry about tomorrow. What was it? What does he say in 633? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what? All these things are going to be provided for you. So Jesus jumps in. He's saying, hey, listen, don't be consumed with this. That is this kingdom. There's a new kingdom. Seek my kingdom, and I'm going to provide for you. Well, uh, that's good, and it's great to understand that word. Um, uh, old, dead Scottish preacher. Um, it's funny. Old, he's, yeah, he's gone. He's been gone for a long time. His name's Alexander McLaren, and he said this about this word, which is great. He said, it, this, it elicits nervous irritation of annoying anxiety, which, as the word in the original means, it tears the heart apart and makes a man quite incapable of doing the wise thing or seeing the wise thing to do in the circumstance. So, and I love this. So the way that he puts it is brilliant, because really what he's, draw, he's, he's, he's driving at is, listen, our heart, as Jesus said, is not to be divided. We can't serve two masters. And so dealing with our, our heart being fully and completely his, and he is in control at all times, what, what's going on is, as uh, Alexander McLaren saying, it tears, it begins to rip at that. Your anxiety and your worry begins to pull at that um, w w single focus toward God. And then he goes on, and it really, it's what worry does to many of us, it incapacitates us. It doesn't allow us to think clearly. It doesn't allow us to move forward. In preparation for this message, I reached out um, to one of my wife and I's really dearest friends, and uh, she happens to be a, uh, a professional counselor and um, has been in practice for you know a couple of decades, and uh, just really, really thoughtful in in how um, you know as I asked her about this, you know, okay, what about anxiety? Is anxiety a sin? And um, her response, and, and which is just great, she differentiates anxiety from worry. Um, in her world, and uh, she said that while many would, you know, people kind of use those words interchangeably, and I think we do, and I will even throughout this message, uh, she argued, as I alluded to earlier, that anxiety is tied to chemicals in the brain and the body, and it can actually be measured. So, you, you know, you being scared of heights is, is different than worry. She went on to say, um, worry is a choice that we make. So worry is, is taking those, those fears and those thoughts and, and just ruminating on them and dreaming on them and allowing them to get to the place that they control you. And at that point is when you are full of care and there's no space for God to do what God can do. So at that point is when worry, anxiety, interchangeably, is sin. All right? So we're done. Answer the question. Let's go, right? like, no. Um, it, it's wonderful because if all you have is just here's the problem and there's no solution, 
um, it, it becomes that nice little cliche. So let's add some substance to this. Let's dig in because Paul in this very short verse provides a solution to worry and it helps us avoid the sin of worry. So let's, let's look at this. It says, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All right, let's not skip over this. Let's, let's, let's look at this. This word right here is critical. It's a conjunction, Right? There's tons of conjunctions in Scripture, therefore, yet, then, you know, but, and. I mean, you, you take those conjunctions, and I just want to tell you, all throughout Scripture, when you find a conjunction, guess what's about to happen? God's about to show up. I mean, it, it's, it's good. You just look at but God all throughout Scripture, and it, but God. But God demonstrates his love in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But God. But God is huge. This conjunction is big right here. It's a big butt. <laughs> All right, stop. I heard, heard a guy say this, and this is awesome. Conjunctions are the theological link between thinking right and doing right. It's the theological link between thinking right and doing right. Just imagine, and, and I mean, here's, here it is. Here is this problem that's been created. Okay, I think I need to address, you know, and not worry about this. But how do I do that? And this conjunction deals with it. But this conjunction also creates this juxtaposition um, in between these two words as well. And this is huge because it says, uh, let's go back to that verse if we can. Uh, the original, uh, uh, yes, the, there it is. Um, no, not that one. Uh, anyhow, it says, don't be anxious about anything or don't worry about anything, right? Underline anything. So it's the anything, so not anything, but in everything in the, in the uh, CSB, in everything. So there's this, there's this dynamic, like, hey, there's these anythings, but there's this everything. And so it creates this juxtaposition that um, really what Paul's solution is, is he's driving through and, hey, just talk to God about it. But in everything, talk to God about this. Paul's solution is prayer, and it's not some just common religious kind of escapism prayer like, all right, God, get me out of this situation. Blue lights are in the rearview mirror. Okay, God, you know, the test. Oh, it's due today. You know, those kind of prayers like I just need out. We, we pray a lot of times. Um, it's not those kind of prayers. It is a deep, intimate prayer in relationship with the God who knows you best and cares for you most. And so this prayer um, is... Is, is awesome. And I think there's four critical components um, that I just want to point out in this. And obviously, they're right here in front of us, and you can see them. Um, that One, that we see every situation as an opportunity, or everything as an opportunity to invite God to be in control versus us. There's nothing too small. There's not a, there's not a, a, you know, a cap on all the small things are going to add up to you know, and, and outweigh all of my big things. There, there's not too many small things to bring before God. It's not too small to bring before God. Your big things, the things that just consume you, they're not overwhelming God. God is sovereign. He is in control. God can handle them. He is powerful enough to handle your big things and every little small thing. Let me, let me say this. Is you can't bug God to death. All right? I mean, that, that's just, there's some hope and promise in that. I mean, it's not like we're little two-year-olds, you know, like always pulling on the pan of our parent, like, oh, can I do this? Or, you know, what about this, that, how, why? We don't bug God to death when we petition God. And we would take things before him. 
That uh, Scottish preacher Alexander McLaren said it this way, if a thing is great enough to threaten to make me anxious, it is great enough for me to talk to God about. That's, that's good. That's something you can write down. So let's take it, everything, to God. In every situation that you find yourself in, take it to God. The second is we ask God for what we need. Be bold in that. If we are too ashamed to ask God for what we need, then that need will end up controlling you. You've got to ask God. If you need it, you, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, this is where, hey God, I need an escape from this. I need some rescue. I need a friend. I need someone to walk with me through this. I need you to come through. Ask God. If you're too ashamed to ask God for what you need, then that need will end up controlling you. For you, business professional and stay-at-home mom who you are incredibly busy and busyness rules your life and the pace of life rules you, I'm just going to tell you, if you're too busy to ask God for what you need, you are going to miss the favor of God. You just will. Think about in in Scripture when Mary and Martha, um, when Mary and Martha uh, invited Jesus and Jesus went to their home, what, what happened? they're getting ready, you know, I imagine now Jesus is here, Jesus shows up, what does Mary do? Mary comes down at the feet of Jesus and learns and has, you know, conversation and talks to Jesus and they laugh and, and tell, you know, jokes and all kinds of stuff are going on. You know, I mean, here, here's what's happening with that relationship. What's happening with the relationship with Martha? Martha was too busy, right? says in Scripture she avoided, you know, and did all the, the things that she thought that needed to be done. And she missed out on the relationship. In, in our relationship with God, we, we can't be too busy and we can't be too ashamed to ask God for what we need. We've got to do that. Number three, we have to have a thankful heart. Our worry and our, our anxieties usually are focused on the what ifs and the what to comes. That's usually where they, they consist of. A lot of times in the hypothetical uh-oh, you know, you, we worry and get so drummed up about the potential of something that may never happen. And so, you know, when we, we think about and, and all we do is focus on the future, then you get, you get wrapped up into that. And, and Paul's saying, hey, listen, you have to have and, and make this petition with thanksgiving, with a thankful heart. A thankful heart is looking at, all right, God, you have been faithful. See, your anxiety will be quieted when you recall the faithfulness of God in your past. The anxiety of your future is going to be quieted by the, the understanding and remembering the faithfulness of God for your past. You, you, you may be without a job right now. But by God's grace, you had a job. You've been able to provide. He's going to provide for you. You, you, you may have you know, not got into the school that you wanted. You may have not gotten that contract or that client that you wanted. But God's been faithful. He's, he's provided. And when you look back and you are thankful for all that God has done in your life and not so consumed with what's going forward, you're able to make those petitions before God. You're able to come before him in, in, in everything by that prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Put it before God. Number four is that we present them to God. I'm convinced of this. How we go before God is way more important than what we say to God. 
how we go before God is more important than what we say to God. Um, I, I know that as, as you think about that, even as a parent, um, you understand that. I've got three in college. How my kids approach me to ask me to move funds into their account is way more important than them asking for funds in their account. I can, yeah, I can get some amens on that, I'm sure. How your kids approach you is, is way more important. And, and how we present these to God is critical. We have an opportunity to go before God in humility, understanding his faithfulness in the past, presenting our petition before God in boldness, saying, God, in humility, I ask you for this. You know, it's interesting, though, because here's, here's and I alluded to this, is the reality is um, in our day, in our time, at the pace of life that we live, we don't take the time to humbly approach God. So all we do is we do a flyby. If all my kids would do is send me a text and say, hey, can you transfer, da-da-da? Like, mm, no. But when they take the time and they call and say, hey, Dad, I've, you know, I had this and I got a ticket. And I'm like, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, those situations, when they come to me, it's, it's just different. So the pace of life matters. You know, for us as uh, Americans, I mean, the pace of life is really what drives anxiety to these, these levels that are just um, unhealthy. It, it's what creates panic attacks. It's, it's, I mean, all those things because of pace of life. Research shows that um, for those individuals who actually take a rest, a Sabbath day, not just coming in to Sunday morning, sitting, hearing the music and the preaching, and then going home and sitting on your couch, but you take a Sabbath day to focus on God, those individuals are more healthy and happy than individuals that are not taking that rest. It's research. And I think it's in those times of Sabbath and rest that we have ample opportunity to present our, our petition and our request before God and allow God to speak and allow God to move, allow God to hear us because of the posture of our heart and, and our pre presentation before him is critical. I don't want it to be lost in, in this verse, though, that as Paul is writing, he's writing to a community of believers, right? He's, he's writing to a real-life church. Um, and I believe that this church at this time, they understood and knew um, what it meant to care for one another better than any time in, in church history. They just got it. They, they got it. They understood what does it look like to carry each other's burdens? What does it look like to provide for one another? Oh, you don't have that? Let me give this to you. You, you can share this, share this meal, share our house. I mean, all of those things were happening in, in this time um, with the church. You see, that's the reason that this church has life groups. Because if you, those issues in your life are not known and you are able to know those in the lives of others, guess what? You can't be interdependent. You, you can't come around and provide for those individuals. God did not intend for you to carry your anxiety and your worry alone you probably have gotten to a place where you're like, all right, God, I've asked, and you're telling me, I've asked God for this, I've asked God for escape, he's still not providing, he's still not doing, um, and, and you're struggling and you're, you're wondering. I just want to encourage you, let others carry that burden with you. There can't be shame, there can't be condemnation in, in the community of, of Jesus followers. We've got to come together and carry each other's burdens. 
I'm going to close with this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse uh, 7. Let me read 6 in case we don't have it up there. It says, Humble yourselves, which is our position, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your cares on him because he cares for you. God does not want you to wallow in your worry. He doesn't want you to carry the worries of this world by yourself. He doesn't want you to just exhibit great self-determination and great willpower to pull yourself out of your worry and your concern. He does not want that. God is gracious enough to come alongside you with a body of believers alongside of you to help you find freedom from worry and anxiety. That is his promise. That is where we can find hope. That's where we can find security. And so I just want to encourage us as a, as a body of believers today, as you struggle with anxiety, as you struggle to, to find that fine line of, of when does it become controlling you? When does it just start controlling and you becoming full of that? That at that time you confess that, you repent of that, you take it to God, let God deal with that to find freedom in that. Let's close with our little cliche today that hopefully adds more substance as we walk out of here. It's this, God's grace is greater than any worry of this life. Will you say it again with me and let's put some emphasis on is. Will you do that with me? God's grace is greater than any worry of this life. It truly is. And I hope and I pray that you find some promise and hope in that today.